Well, welcome. Really glad you guys are here. Um, did anybody get to go to the uh, Eddie this week? Anybody go to the Eddie? Yes. I know you did. I went with you. You don't count. Anyway, but I actually did get to go to the Eddie this week. I was pretty excited. So I actually got to go a couple weeks ago when we had the false Eddie. So that was a fun experience too. So we went around 10 o'clock at night, um, slept in our cars, woke up, and this guy was walking his dog by our car. And I'm sure he was just thrilled that we were there very near his home. And uh, he was like, actually, they, they, they called it. They canceled it. So we all got out of there and took a bunch of people back and had breakfast at our house. But it was kind of a bummer. And so this time, Bobby Nimi, if you don't know Bobby, he comes on Friday nights. He helps out with our cakey, and he's just a big surfing guy. So he got us all excited to go, and somehow he convinced me to go again this week. And so um, I couldn't convince Lisette, though. I don't know why she wasn't thrilled about sleeping in a car again. But, um, but he was like, no, kept sending me pictures of what the forecast looked like. And I was like, oh, man, I don't, I'm not supposed to work on Thursday. I don't know if I can. And so I was like, all right, I'll just email Ron. If he says I can go, I can go. And so I emailed Ron. I said, hey, Ron, I really want to go to the Eddie, and I want to take a vacation day. And then I'll come work that night. I'll, I'll make sure my sermon's okay. So I actually don't have a sermon. I'm just going to talk about the Eddie the whole time. So, um, <laughs> but I, I was really nervous. Ron was going to just be like, no, you can't go. But I forgot who Ron was. Ron was like, of course you could go. You know what I mean? Ron was always like, yeah, go have a blast. And so, and it was great. And so I have a couple pictures. Um, it was just a really, really cool event. So we were right up next, next to the platform. We were about 10 feet away, 15 feet away from the rope. Um, it was a beautiful morning, and then it kind of rained the rest of the day. Um, but the next picture, I mean, they were huge waves. Um, I have a guy, he's like right there in the trough. It's just like gorgeous. People lining the cliffs. I mean, just surrounded by people. It was a really, really, really cool thing. Um, and I was really glad that I got to go. But just sitting there writing that email, you know, I had forgotten who Ron was. And this morning we're going to talk about offering our time. And uh, when we offer up our time to God, when we say, God, I want to give my time uh, to you, I think sometimes we forget who he is. And I think sometimes we think he's going to be like I thought Ron was going to be. No, you can't have any fun, you know. And sometimes I think we get this idea of God, and it changes how we see him, and it changes how we see um, offering our time, and hopefully we can kind of talk about that today. So um, if you're not following along with us in this week, I believe we're talking about offering our time, and um, the key question is, how do I best use my time to serve God and others? And the key idea is, I invest my time in fulfilling God's purposes. I offer my time to fulfill God's purposes. So some of you guys may remember, um, we talked about at the very beginning, the first thing we talked about was worship. And what we talked about with worship was kind of similar to this idea of offering my time. And so Pastor Ron used a passage last week. It's Romans 12:1, and we used it that week as well. And I want to read this together. So it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we talked about at the very beginning of the year that worship is not just when we come together and sing, although that's a great thing that we can sing out. It is well with our soul altogether. That's a great thing. But really what worship should be is a life lived for God. And that's an everyday kind of thing, not just an hour on Sunday kind of thing. So when we talk about offering my time, we really just get another week for worship, which I'm okay with because I like worship. So we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. But um, we need to unpack that word sacrifice. Because I want you to think about what comes to your mind when I say the word sacrifice. I think for most of us nowadays, it, it, it just means to give something up to gain something else, right? Like if you want to lose weight, you got to sacrifice. You know what I mean? I'm going to be using that a lot throughout. If you want to lose weight, you got to sacrifice that donut. You know, you shouldn't eat. 
you know? You got to sacrifice and you got to go run. I finally caved in and started running. There's just no other way. You know, I was like, oh, I can find new ways to do cardio, but you can't. You just got to run. And it is funny, but, but I think if we look at sacrifice in terms of how someone in the Bible would have understood the word sacrifice, it's a very different image. It's like when people from, like me from the Midwest, when we sing about the ocean in worship songs, it's like this distant idea. When we sing about the ocean here, this is love crashes wave after wave. We have that very real image. For the people, the Hebrews, um, they would have had a very real image for the word sacrifice because sacrifice was a part of their daily lives. Every, very regularly, they would have to bring an animal or some sort of other sacrifice to the temple, and that animal would be killed so that they could keep a right relationship with God, so that they could stay the people of God and keep the blessings that came with being the people of God. So for them, offering meant very, very different things than what it means to us. But the really cool thing is that we're under a new covenant. We don't have to bring animals when we come on Sunday morning. I'm thrilled about that because this place would look and smell very different. I don't know if you've ever been near a feed place, but it is not good. Animals don't smell good. And uh, also, the Levites were the worship leaders back then, and they had to clean up. And so that would be me. So I thank you, but that's not my part of my job. No, but this morning we're going to talk about sacrifice, because sacrifice is still a part of our Christian life, just in a very different and hopefully a very cool way. So today we're going to talk, if you look on your bulletins, we have three Ps of offering. I don't know what it is about Christians, but we love alliteration. We love just using the same letter at the beginning of every point. So we're going to do the three Ps about offering. The first P we're going to talk about is purity. Because if you look in the Old Testament and the New, um, purity was very important when it came to a sacrifice. Leviticus is a really, really fun book to read if you ever just want to sit down on a Sunday afternoon. Not really. But it's a great book, but it's very hard to read because there's all these very stringent um, things about how pure the, the sacrifice had to be. So what you do is you'd bring your goat or your um, lamb or your dove or your bull, and the priest would have to look at it and make sure that it didn't have any defect or any blemish. So he'd search it from the very bottom of its feet to the top of its head, make sure there was nothing wrong, and then he'd let you take it into the temple to be offered. So purity was really important. And I think purity is still important today when we talk about offering our time. Now, we're going to talk about why, but the really cool thing is that the purity of your actions, you don't have to be perfect, and that's really good. Um, but when I say purity of our offering of time, this is what I mean. I want to use Colossians 3.17. It's our key verse for this chapter. In Colossians 3.17, it says this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, when it says do it all in the name of Jesus, that's what I mean by purity. That when we live our lives, that we would be able to say about everything that we do, that we do it in the name of Jesus. Now, it's not as easy as slapping in the name of Jesus on everything we do. In the name of Jesus, I speed through traffic and cut someone off, you know. Aren't you really careful, though, when you have, like, a he is greater than I sticker on the back of your car? You're like, I'm very sorry, you know. No, but when I say in the name of Jesus, that means in his name. That means, um, like Jerry was talking about, he was the executor of his father's will. So he was acting in his behalf, on his behalf. So we're in his name, doing things that he wants us to do doing things that he would be doing. So it's very important because if we want to do something in the way that he would do it or in his name, then we have to know him, right? And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people get a wrong idea of God and then they do the wrong things in his name. We've seen it. 
right? The things throughout history that have been done in the name of God are, are terrible and they're far from the heart of God. The people that pick at outside events, and I'm going, I just can't imagine Jesus doing that. But when we have a wrong idea of God, it causes us to see the world differently. When you see God in a certain way, it changes how you see other people. It changes how you see the things that happen to you. How you see God changes everything. It's kind of like glasses. Um, some of you may have noticed that I got glasses at the beginning of the year. And I actually had a couple people come up to me and like, oh, I get it. You know, you quit wearing contacts because you want to be cool and look smarter. So... And that was a nice thing. I do look a little bit smarter. I sent a picture to my family. That's the first thing my little sister said. She goes, oh, you look a lot smarter. So thanks for that. <laughs> but no, I actually had never had glasses. And so um, we moved here, and I went to the DMV, and I barely passed the thing where you have to, like, read all the letters. She gave me, like, four or five tries. She was just real nice. She was like, nope, it's not a D. It's not an O. It's not a C. You know? So I was like, maybe I need to get glasses. Then a while later, I was in a meeting with Ron and Cal, and they were looking at this thing, seeing it fine, and I'm sitting there like this, you know, me, the 26-year-old, and they're like, fine, you know, and I was like, maybe I need to get glasses, you know, and so I finally went, and I got glasses, and went to Costco, and I put them on, and it was like reverse Clark Kent. It's like I had gained a superpower, you know, I was like, I can see all the prices. That's just seafood, you know. But when you can see things clearly and when you have a right understanding of who God is, it changes how you see everything. So a lot of us see God as angry. So when we think about offering up our time and, and letting God be in control of, of how we live our lives, that sounds terrifying because we think he's going to take all the fun stuff and he's just going to make me pray all the time and I'm going to have to wear a choir robe and sit in my room and, you know. So in my quiet time, I do think quiet time is a good thing. I don't want a bad quiet time. But um, I, I've been reading this book called Secrets of the Secret Place by Bob Sorge, and it's a really, really, really cool book. And I was reading in it this week, and it's kind of awesome how God will put things in front of you. And he, I, I stumbled upon this quote, and he's talking about um, quiet time specifically, but I think it has a lot to say about how we spend our time. This is what he says. He says, Satan wants you to believe that God is ticked with you because you haven't met your daily quota of time with him. He militates against the truth of God's word, which states that our acceptance with God has to do with nothing but faith in Christ. So what that means is Satan attacks the truth, because Satan always says that he's a liar, and he says, it has, he, he, he goes against that truth, that it only has to do with faith in Christ. God is very unimpressed with your performance, but he is deeply impressed with Christ's performance. When you put childlike faith in Christ, Christ's performance record is credited to you, and faith in Christ unlocks the Father's heart for you. The Father's heart explodes in affirmation and acceptance and delight, totally independently of your diligence or lack thereof. God is your biggest fan. As your Heavenly Father, He is constantly coaxing you forward into heights of spiritual victory. Is that the image you see of God? Or do you see the kind of stern, angry guy with a white beard sitting up there just mad because you didn't go to church today? Because how you see him will affect how you see everything. It'll affect how you see the next P that we're going to talk about. The next P we're going to talk about is the purpose of an offering. The Hebrews had a, a very specific purpose for each offering. It wasn't just that they made them and hoped something would happen. Each had a specific purpose and a specific way that it was to be carried out. So the main offering was called a sin offering. And a sin offering, the purpose was to atone for our sin. 
to make it right that we had sinned. So they would bring in their animal, it would be checked for its purity, and then it would be killed in the place of you for your sin. I think sometimes we think that our offering of time is kind of like that. We're like, oh, you know, I've led a really rough life. I've, I've been far from God, so I need to serve the church to make up for the life that I've led. Or sometimes we think, man, I've had a rough week, <laughs> and I need to serve to make up for the week that I just had. And we lose sight of the fact that that's been taken care of. And in Hebrews 10, it tells us very, very clearly, and this is what it says. It says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, once again, we're thinking about kind of a Hebrew mindset. They would have read that and would have been shocked. You and I are like, well, duh, you know. But this is something they did all the time, and it's like it doesn't take away sins. It says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is what Jesus said, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, he's talking about God, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. So Jesus has come to do God's will because God is no longer pleased with sin offerings, with burnt offerings, with the blood of bulls and goats. So we're in a lurch, right? No, because later in Hebrews, it comes through. This is what it says. He says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So the blood of bulls and goats and the sin offerings and the burnt offerings that weren't enough, but by one act, with one perfect sacrifice, Jesus was found without blemish and he was killed in our place so that forever we, those who are being made holy, would not have to sacrifice. But he goes on, the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. It goes on after that to say that. So that's amazing. Sin for, you know, sacrificing for sin is no longer necessary. It's taken care of. But there's an even cooler part in this. It says the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to make a new covenant. And instead of what I did with the Israelites where I gave them the law and they just did their best to keep it and they failed and they twisted the law, instead I'm going to put the law in their hearts. I'm going to write it on their mind. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit is going to be with us because the Holy Spirit is what makes all this possible. The Holy Spirit allows us to go throughout our day and to offer a pure sacrifice, not because we're doing it right, but because through the Holy Spirit, we can say, God, I'm going to do this in your name even when it's not perfect because of what you've done. Through the Holy Spirit, we can understand that the purpose of our offering, the purpose that, that we give our lives to Jesus is not to gain our way back into his favor. That's been done. But we do it as a thanks offering. That was another kind of offering in the Old Testament. And for the Hebrews, is, um, they would give a thanks offering. So when they had a great harvest or something like that, they would bring some of the grain and they would offer it to God as a thanks. And that's the kind of offering we give. Not to try to get back into God's good graces. That's been taken care of. But we give our time to say, thank you, Jesus, that we're covered in the blood. 
And that's a very, you know, churchy phrase. But that means that we have been covered with the blood of his sacrifice and that we are no longer held responsible for what we've done. But Jesus took care of it. I want to talk about the last P. And one of the things I think the Holy Spirit does is he helps us find balance. So this last P, I want you to write down pleasure. And then once you're done writing pleasure, I want you to write a slash. And I want you to write pain. And I'm really sorry that I have to have you write that second word. I would love to tell you that the Christian life is just sunshine and rainbows and gumdrops, but um, that's not the case. But you'd ask, Charlie, why does, why does pain have to be a part of this Christian walk? That's, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like God. And, and I want to unpack this because I'm, I'm definitely not saying that the moment you accept Jesus from that on, you just got to look forward to a life of pain. Uh, but we all know that, that, that pain is a part of life, right? Um, and I'm going to use the definition from C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. Um, if you have um, people that you know that are not Christians, and every time you talk to talk, try to talk to them about Jesus, they go, well, how come if he's a loving God, there's pain in the world? Read this book. It breaks down how pain is not only a part of life, but it's a necessary part of the Christian life. And how he defines pain is, is any sort of discomfort, mental or physical, that you would want to avoid. And that's certainly a part of the Christian walk. I, we can see why, if we look in 2 Samuel verse 24, um, David has been called by God to um, build an altar and to sacrifice these bulls um, to God. And so he is looking for a place and God leads him to this man's home and he walks in the man's home and says, I would like to buy your, um, your, your threshing floor to build an altar to God. Threshing floor is where he would kind of separate his wheat. And so he said, oh, no, no, you can have it. You're the king. I mean, you can have it. And, and this is what David, said. David says. He says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels for them. So we can't give God a sacrifice that costs us nothing. When we give this thanks offering, we can't just say, thanks, God, and move on. It has to cost us something. In fact, later in the Bible, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Once you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish it. In the same way, those of you who did not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So that's not the verse that we put on the front of the, uh, the brochure, right? We sneak that in in the back. I think sometimes we do that as Christians. We want the people we know to be Christians so bad that we don't tell them that they need to count the cost. I, I call this like infomercial Christianity. Is anybody familiar with infomercials? So infomercials, what they do is they make up a problem, and it could be very real or very not real, and, and they create a product that fixes everything. 
So the problem is weight loss. So take this pill. Don't change your lifestyle and the pounds will fall off of you. You know, rub this cream on your face and you look like you were when you were 20. You know what I mean? And it never comes through and we're always disappointed. So I, I was looking online. I was looking at different infomercials. And let me tell you, there are some gems out there. So um, I found this one. And the problem that they have said is that apparently all of us, we hate our thighs. Every one of us. We just look at our thighs in the mirror and we're just like, oh, you know. And so they've said, you know, we have a solution. And so what they came up with was sauna pants. Now, sauna pants, yes. <laughs> you strap these suckers on. And what you do is you got to, like, cinch them up here, cinch them down here. And they just, apparently, they just flood steam into that area, which sounds incredibly comfortable. And then when you take it off, you step out of the steam and you have bronzed and muscular thighs. So, um, I mean, look at that guy's forearms. He's obviously doing something right. And so, obviously, it didn't work. You don't see a lot of sauna pants nowadays. I hope you don't. If somebody has sauna pants, please come up and tell me. Bring them back before the 11 o'clock service so I can show them the sauna pants. Another one, and this, bro- this cracked me up. Has anyone heard of the Hawaii chair? It looks like a medieval torture device. This is the Hawaii chair. And so what the Hawaii chair is, everything on that chair moves. Nothing sits still. So the idea is, I guess, you're trying to type and make phone calls, and your productivity gets cut in half while you're at work, but apparently it develops rock-hard abs because (laughs) you're just never comfortable. I think it was the predecessor to, like, sitting on yoga balls. Does anybody have anybody at their office? Like, that's Pastor Cal. Every time you walk in there, it's like, Pastor Cal, you got to stop moving up and down while we're talking. (laughs) But every single one of these, they they don't come through because nothing is for free. Some things are for easy payments of $19.99, but nothing's free, right? And I think sometimes we we expect that with Christianity, you know what I mean? But we got to realize if you want to lose weight, you got to sacrifice. If you want to have a good marriage, you got to sacrifice some things that you want. If you want to be able to pay your rent, you have to sacrifice and you got to go to work at least once or twice a week, you know? But in this world of instant gratification and you're pre-approved for credit cards and, you know, people want a Christianity that doesn't cost them anything and it just doesn't exist. Grace is free. Following Jesus costs you everything. But the other thing we forget to tell people is that the, it's worth the cost. Later in the Gospels, Peter asked Jesus this. He says, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But the cool thing is, is that it's not just eternal life. We think of eternal life, and that means like you just got to grab onto life and just hold on till heaven, right? Just grin and bear it. Don't make eye contact and get to heaven, right? But eternal life starts right now. The moment you accept Jesus, your eternal life begins, and it continues on through heaven. But the cool thing is that even in this life, we're promised blessing. There are so many scriptures about God um, giving things to those who love him, and blessing those who love him. This week in our reading, we're going to be reading Haggai 1. And in Haggai, the people of Israel come back from 
um, the Babylonian exile. So they come back and they start to rebuild Jerusalem and they're building their own homes and they just kind of forgot to rebuild the temple. And so God comes and he's like, you haven't even built my home. And every now and again, God says something that kind of, as you read it, it sends a little shiver up your spine. I love in Job when he's talking to Job and he says, gird yourself up like a man so that I can talk to you. I hear that and I'm like, you know, and he has one of these in Haggai. He says this, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. He's saying because you have put your, um, your homes first and you've forgotten me, you've put your purposes first and you've forgotten me, then this is, this is what you're going to get. But I believe the reverse is true. If you flip that, if you put God's purposes before your own, if you put his home before your own, then you're going to harvest much. You're going to eat and drink and you're going to be filled. You're going to be warm your purse will become overflowing with the blessings that God will give you. Now, I'm not saying health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We've all heard those preachers, right? Like, you're all going to get a square of cloth, and if you rub it on your money, it will produce ten times. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that God has promised that he will take care of and he will bless those who love him. And what I'm saying is that on the other side of discomfort, there's blessings. On the other side of the discomfort of surrendering to God, because it's not comfortable to surrender to God. But on the other side of that discomfort, there's blessing. And when I talk about the discomfort of the Christian life, maybe you're going, what are you talking about? This has been a cakewalk for me, and if, in case, that's awesome. But for some of us, it's, it's the discomfort of letting go of something that we really love, but we know God's asking us to let go of, right? For some of us, it's, um, you know, like Lisette and I, we had to come to a tropical paradise. It's been pretty rough, you know what I mean? <sighs> you know, giving up the fields of Nebraska. But, um, you know, sometimes God's going to call you to go to a place you don't want to go to or to stay in a place that you really want to leave. And those are minor discomforts, but sometimes God calls us to true pain. Sometimes God calls you to step back into a marriage that is broken, that you want to leave, but you know God's heart for marriage. So you're going to stick around and you're going to pray and you're going to hope against everything that people tell you about your marriage that God can heal it. And on the other side of that pain, there's blessing. Some of our brothers and sisters um, are dying in Syria. They have been murdered for the sake of their faith. And they already have their reward. They've stepped into the next life and they are living it up. God has returned to them 10 times what they lost. And on the other side of their pain, there was blessing. There was eternal life. That's the pain I'm talking about. I want to read you the rest of that quote that I shared earlier, that Sorge quote. And, and this is what he says. He says, when you neglect time with God, he's not disappointed in you. He's disappointed for you. He sees the spiritual riches available to you and his heart breaks when he watches you getting bypassed. He wants you to share in heaven's best and he looks with wistful longing when you shortchange yourself spiritually. On the other side of pain is blessing, but if you avoid the pain, if you avoid picking up your cross, 
if you avoid talking to someone about Jesus, even though it's uncomfortable, then you also avoid the blessing. And Jesus even says later in Scripture, if you disown me in public, then I will disown you. And that's harsh. And I hear you. I know some of you are saying, this is not the Christianity I signed up for. Maybe you got the infomercial Christianity, and I'm really sorry that now payment is being called, you know. But there's a pastor named Banning Liebscher, and he's not only has a great name, but um, whenever he talks about tithing, he'll have people come up to him and say, you're saying God wants 10% of my money? And he loves to just laugh and say, God wants all your money. God wants your whole life. And don't hear me, Paul talks about how it's not, trust me, I don't want you to just start signing over your paychecks to the church. That is not what I want. Paul doesn't want you to go without so that we can, you know, be living off that. But God wants your whole life. God wants you to be looking at everything in your life, everything you write a check to and say, in the name of Jesus. And yeah, that includes paying your electric bill. That's a good thing. It's okay to do that. It's okay to go out to eat. It's okay to do those things. But, but just in listening to Holy Spirit and saying, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to do that. So there's a lot of great application. I really hope that you're in an Ohana group. I hope that you're following along with us in this Believe series. It's really good. A lot of times you start these series and you get into it and you're like, this is really hokey, but this is really good. And they have some great application, but I want to share a couple applications with you before we close. First off, um, in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I want us to lay, um, I want you to lay your week before God. I want you to offer that sacrifice of your time, because that's what it is. It's how you spend your, your, your week. I want you to lay it before God, and I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would just prompt you. If there's something that you need to give up, if there's something you need to add to your week, and you're going to be surprised by what he says. I really hope. Test, test what you hear against scripture. Test what you hear in your Ohana group. Say, is this from God? But a lot of times God will say, you know, if you're not serving, he wants you to step into serving. We talked about spiritual gifts last week. You were meant to serve in a specific way. God built you to be excited and to get passionate about serving him in a certain way. We just got to find out what that way is. So if he's telling you to serve, um, write that on a, on a connection card. Say, I want to serve. Write down your name. And we will find a place for you that is not life-draining. We're not going to put you, if you're an introvert, we're not going to put you at the door. Hear me out, you know. So I want you to pray about that. But some of you may hear from God, you know what, you're serving too much. Step back. Spend some time with your family. You'll be surprised by what he says. And secondly, I would just say, I will harp on this until, you know, I'm old and gray. Practice a quiet time. If you want to get to know the voice of God, if you want to be able to hear his voice when he tells you how to manage your week or what to do in certain situations, you can't just try and call him when you're in your direst need. You're not going to know his voice. But if you practice a quiet time and just start with 15, 30 minutes a day, spend some time in scripture, listening to God, pray, ask him to speak to you, read a book, do something. Because when you spend that first half hour of your day, it trickles down, and it does. It purifies your day. So let's just lay our week before God. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, uh, we lay our week, we lay our time, we lay our lives before you as a sacrifice. God, I pray that you would test it for purity, that you would speak to us now, each one of us, that we would hear a prompting and a conviction from you that if we need to make changes, that you would make us make changes in the right way, with the right view of you that you're a loving father, that you want to pull us into spiritual victory, that you want to encourage us to go further. Lord, we lift up our time to you. We trust you. 
to guide us and to teach us what to do. If it's in your name we pray. Amen.